It's a big crowd for Labor Day. I mean, come on, Labor Day weekend, the time people get out of town, go do stuff, barbecues. Maybe you take Monday off. I don't know. It's Labor Day, right? And Labor Day is also associated with stuff like uh, retail sales and extended shopping hours, which is a little ironic, right, when you consider Labor Day was designed to be a, a day of rest for the laborers, for the working class, a day that their employers could not, like, punish them for taking the day off. It had to be turned into law. Back before the turn of the 20th century, the average American laborer worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and that included many children in that workforce. May Day would be the holiday that um, we recognize where it passed into law that the workday could not be longer than an eight-hour workday. That's May Day. But Labor Day was made an official national holiday by President Grover Cleveland in 1894. And the very fact that we need a Labor Day, like a national holiday, to protect laborers from overworking is pretty telling of who we are. I think, I, I would say as Americans, but I'll say as human beings. Obviously, I am thankful, you probably are too, that we are not back in the Industrial Revolution working in dark factories all day long. But I wonder how much better off we really are than in the Industrial Revolution. The pressures we place on each other for performance, production, and what defines success in our lives can be absolutely crippling. We may not be spending 12 hours a day in factories getting all cold, dusty, and stuff like that, but we're still the most overworked, underrested, sleep-deprived, medicated societies in the entire history of the world. Yay us! That's a record. Overwork and underrest are not unique to one culture or to one generation. It tends to be a human problem. And thankfully, God has given us a great gift. Before Labor Day as a national holiday in 1894, God gave us Sabbath, the original Labor Day. So if you are willing and able, would you stand with me as we read Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. right in the middle of the Ten Commandments we hear. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle, or the sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Lord, we're at a risk here, um, hearing one of the Ten Commandments, like one of the most familiar texts to us. And I'm guilty of this too, Lord, thinking I already know what it means, thinking I've heard it before, and I pray against that inoculation to your word that we so often experience. Would you, by the power of your spirit, help us to hear you today and help us to respond to what you're saying, both to us as a church, but also to us as individuals. Help us to hear your voice. Amen. You may be seated.
I've preached on this before about three years ago. Um, Very much of this is the same. Why am I doing this pretty much again? Because I struggle with this. I really do. And as we enter into the quasi, I know it's not fall. I'm a big believer summer is until the 21st of September. I get that. But like with my life rhythm with three kids in school um, and just kind of how church works too, like it definitely feels like a different season for me and for many. Um, And in these different seasons, like it's just important to take stock of how we're living and how maybe we are, um, how maybe I am not giving myself enough margin in there. And I can see the ways I've allowed my own busyness and my own fears, which inform that busyness, to kind of take over the both ends of my life. So I wanted to study this for myself, and um, I bet it would be applicable to about 99% of you too. So just roll with me here. Um, I wanted to preach on Sabbath on Labor Day weekend. All right, so we're going to deal with Sabbath, right? And it's so tempting to just jump right in and say, okay, tell me what to do. What day of the week do we as Christians do Sabbath? And what is the list of stuff I'm supposed to do and not do? And you know I'm not going to just do that, right? Because I think if we try and answer those questions before we answer more important questions, we'll get the whole thing backwards and wrong. I think we need to answer these basic primary questions. One, what is the Sabbath? And two, why on earth did God give it to us? Why did he give us this command to practice Sabbath? And I think that if we answer those two questions honestly, that one, we're going to be surprised by the answers we get, and two, those surprises, I think, are going to be good gifts for us. They're going to, they're going to help us. Okay. All right, so what is being commanded here anyway? Here's the words. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, right? So the Sabbath command is really, uh, it has two parts to it. The first part is to remember or observe or practice the Sabbath. On the seventh day of the week, the Israelites were not supposed to do any work. They were to cease from their labors. Their farms were to rest. Their hired hands were to rest. Their families were to rest, They were to rest from labors that produce harvest and profit and economic growth, okay? The first part of Sabbath is to rest from your labors. The second element to Sabbath is to keep the day holy, to make it a day not only to observe or to take off or uh, to to have a vacation day, but to engage in holy activities like, like worship. For the ancient Israelites, Just as in many Jewish circles today, the Sabbath was a day to worship together, not just to not work. So for hearing the scriptures read, for example, for reciting the scriptures and the prayers and the stories of God together in community, it was a day of remembering that God was the good provider of all things, that the world won't actually fall apart if you don't go to work every day of the week. It was a day to remember that our bodies and our minds and the land and the animals around us all need rest, that we are not limitless, that you and I are not God. Even the Jewish way of reckoning time was influenced by this way of thinking. I've said this over and over again, and Eugene Peterson pointed it out to me, but I just find it fascinating that the Jewish way of reckoning time was from sundown to That is the beginning of the day. And so here's how the beginning of the day would work. 
you say your prayers before bed, you go to bed, and then for, on average, eight hours, the first part of the day, you're doing nothing. Isn't that glorious? That God is sustaining the world while you are snoring, powerless while you sleep. And then you wake up to a, hopefully the sun is shining, but we're in the wa- Washington, right? So like, I'm sorry, Western Washington, and it's gray. And uh, anyway, but God has either given the sunshine or the liquid sunshine, and you didn't do anything about it. It's just a gift. And I love that, that the first third of the day is all stuff God has done without our striving. In short, the Sabbath invites people, the people of God, to take one day a week and to strike a balance between resting and productive labors and engaging in acts of worship. Okay? But why would God give this commandment? Why is this so important? You know, it makes the list of 10, I mean, I get like, don't murder, and don't have idolatry, you know, don't commit adultery. I, I get like, those are big, that's a big deal. That's, those are life wreckers. But like, come on, seriously? Take a day off once a week? Is he striving from your labors? Why is that a big deal? Well, note takers, I see four main reasons why this is a big deal, okay? Here we go. First, it's practical, and I know that that's not very exciting, right? Um, That sounds kind of boring, that it's a practical thing, but think about it. Sleep kind of seems boring, too, unless, like, you're a new parent and you're waking up at three in the morning to change diapers, right? Or sleep seems overrated unless you're a college student cramming for exams. Uh, Sleep is not overrated if you're a small business owner and you're trying to juggle bids and return phone calls and make sure your crews are all working where they're supposed to be. I mean, like, sleep is divine in those settings, right? It is amazing. God designed human beings and the created order, and he knows exactly what we need. So when he prescribes Sabbath, it is a gift, and it is also necessary. I I was reading a a neurologist, I think it was like an NPR thing, and then that spurred me onto this other article, but I, I just found it fascinating, the clarity of the logic, right? Like, this neurologist was making the point that, you know, how... Over the years, like, we, we tend to, to lose these traits. Like, we don't need molars anymore, right? Like, like our wisdom teeth, we need molars. Uh, right, Corey? Yeah, we need molars. <laughs> Keep your molars. Brush your teeth. Ask my wife. But, like, we don't need wisdom teeth anymore. Like, we, we've just, like, changed our diet and things over the time. But check this out. One of the most vulnerable things for an animal, <laughs> for a human being, is to be asleep eight hours a day. Like, wouldn't you think that we would, like, evolved or naturally selected out of that if it wasn't absolutely vital, that our mind, our brains, because we're so high-functioning, we absolutely have to have this deep sleep. Like, we sleep deeper than most other animals. Most other animals kind of, you know, like, have you ever seen, like, a, well, cow tipping, right? But, like, um, you know, deer, if you come up on a sleeping deer and you just crack a twig, like, if that thing is up, um, you can walk by Sophia and, uh, she, you know, I could vacuum in her room and she won't wake up. What I'm saying is, like, this is not an advantage to us to sleep all night unless it really is an advantage to us, unless it is really necessary for us to sleep. And God knows this, and, and he commands it. He commands that we rest. In cultures like ours that value multitasking and overtime and bigger and better and faster and more, it's no surprise that we have such high rates of hypertension, anxiety, narcissism, and addiction, right? We, we live like we are gods 
in the bodies of mortals. Those things don't line up. Like, we will kill ourselves trying to live like that. Sabbath is part of the cure because it rests us and focuses us on, uh, on the one who actually is God. So it's gloriously practical in that sense. So it's practical. Second, God gave us Sabbath because he's a God of justice. There is no other law like Sabbath in the laws of the ancient Near East. There's just, they just don't exist. There's lots of other laws, the Hammurabi Code, all kinds of things that line up a lot with the Ten Commandments, but nothing like the Sabbath. None of the kings or queens or gods or goddesses or philosophies or religions of the ancient Near East or any other ancient civilization that we know of have anything like Sabbath in terms of a day of rest once every seven days. The bigger surprise here is who God commands to practice Sabbath. Every Israelite and every single person under that Israelite's roof. That means slaves, employees, animals, and even the land. Such an egalitarian command was unheard of outside of God and his gracious gift of Sabbath. For six days a week, there was the usual strata of societies, landowners and land workers and masters and slaves and men and women and adults and children, the haves and the have-nots. But on Sabbath, everyone was to rest. The masters had to let the slaves rest. Women got to rest from domestic duties. Oxen rested from their labors. And the land was rested from plowing and sowing and harvesting and reshaping. The Sabbath is a gift of justice. A reminder that God is God of all his people, not just the wealthy, not just the influential. He's the God of creation, not just human beings. He's the God who gifts everyone with a labor day every single week. Third, God gave us Sabbath, commanded Sabbath, to grow in our relationship with him. We learn about God's heart through the way that he not only calls us to live, but why he calls us to live that way. The, the theological reason is given in verse 11, and it's that we would rest on the seventh day because God rested. God's rest on the seventh day isn't the type envisioned by an exhausted laborer who gets to sleep once his work is done, as if God got tired. But rest in a biblical sense has to do with enjoyment, with purpose, with relationship, with this Hebrew word shalom, this all-encompassing peace. God's rest is life-giving. And it's a life-giving relationship with everything he's created, including you and me. So he knows how prone we are to get confused about what's important in life. We're, we're a people who get tunnel vision on the projects that we're interested in or the hobbies we're interested in and what's important and what is right in front of us, like our job and our relationships and our phones and all of these sources of pleasure and pain. It's easy to get tunnel vision on those things. And because we have the capacity to give ourselves, right, we have the capacity as human beings to give our hearts over to things like our love and our time and our energy. We also have the capacity to forget who gave us that capacity. The Sabbath is an invitation to live in reality. It's a day uh, to set aside to remember who God is and what God has done. And it's a day to take stock and to reflect 
with God about who you are and what life is all about. Blessing, celebration, sacred time. I think this idea is summed up in the morning prayer uh, from the book Common Prayer. It goes like this, Thank you, Lord, for the abundance of blessings you shower upon us. Forgive us for the many ways we've turned our gifts into our achievements and so forgotten your generosity. Open our eyes to see that everything is a gift and that every gift is to be shared for your glory. Amen. So the Sabbath is practical. It's there because God is a God of justice. He gives it to us to build relationship. But also the fourth reason that God gave us the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is a sign pointing to something greater. It is a sign pointing to something greater. We often think of creation, maybe you don't, but I know people who do, who think of creation and the Garden of Eden as kind of this perfect state of existence. But I know this might be cognitive dissonance for some, but that is actually not only inaccurate, that's just not biblical. That's not the biblical picture we have of the Garden of Eden. Even before sin entered the world through human rebellion, the creation the, and Eden and the world itself was just the beginning of God's work. It was like creation in the raw. And then God gives human beings vocation of working with this creation and stewarding it and molding it. And the word subdue it doesn't mean like stomp on it with the boot, but, but to tame the wild places and to, to make more beauty as sub-creators out of this raw, amazing creation in the Garden of Eden. And you could see how that project, right, having dominion over a place, you could see how that could go horribly wrong if we thought we could do it better ourselves than we could with God's help. If we thought we didn't need God, wouldn't that turn out bad? Like, it has turned out really bad. I mean, just look around. Like, we've got serious problems. Shootings and race-related violence and hijacking of religion for the advancement of violent political ideologies. The world is broken, and at the center of that brokenness is human rebellion and pride and ignorance. The Sabbath is sacred time set aside to be a sign pointing to what is to come, a sign pointing towards shalom. When there's not striving, and we're not overworking, and we're not being our own gods and goddesses, and we're not abusing the people that work for us, or being abused by the people we work for. It's a sign pointing to a day when that will be every day's reality. The Sabbath points to an age of justice, an age when there will be righteousness for the earth and for the animals. Paul says in his letter to the Romans that the creation itself groans in agony and in expectation and longing for the coming of this age that Sabbath is pointing to. And there's going to be justice among people, among races and genders and social strata. And Sabbath points to that reality. Tied to the Sabbath Day is the Sabbath year every uh, seven year, and then the Jubilee every 50 years, a year where slaves are completely set free, land is returned to its original owners, debts are canceled, a true year of celebration and freedom in God. So the Sabbath points toward the arrival of the kingdom of God 
How then do we practice Sabbath? All right, first, let's just look for a minute how people did practice Sabbath. As we've seen, uh, uh, the commandment is twofold. Cease working and keep the day holy. Now the problem is that the term work is not defined. It's just a prohibition against earning, uh, doing anything that earns a paycheck, or is it a prohibition against doing anything like strenuous, right? The Ten Commandments assume some common sense. So like if you were an Israelite and you had small children at home, you're not going to just like, oh sorry kids, I can't feed you today. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my Sabbath thing, I'm at the spa, right? Like that's not, gonna, that's not common sense. Uh, if you're nomadic sheep herding people, like if anyone's ever raised animals, especially milking animals, like you can't just like skip milk day. Like you have to do that every day or you have problems, right? So like there's some common sense going on. Like I'm sure people still milked their sheep in the morning because you gotta do that or the cows. Okay. But common sense isn't good enough for a lot of people. Um, and, and particularly, we see a group of people, the Pharisees, whom didn't like the common sense stuff, right? So they invented these regulations that they thought would prevent people from um, breaking the Sabbath. Things like, well, um, what is work? Well, I think walking is work, walking too far, but maybe like you have to walk a certain amount of places. Oh, I know, let's, let's come up with a number. How about a thousand uh, a thousand steps. Yep, no, no, a thousand yards. You can't walk more than a thousand yards on the Sabbath. So that became a thing. It's not in the Bible. It's just a regulation. But then they started to enforce it like the law. Um, you're not supposed to carry things in your hands on the Sabbath because that's work. You're not supposed to spit on the dirt because your spit mixing with the dirt might make clay, which is used in making bricks, and that could be work. I'm serious. Like, that's a real thing that came up in the Mishnah. Okay, hear me out. The Sabbath is a gift from God pointing to the age of salvation. It is to be a celebration, a ceasing of work for the sake of worship and connection with God. People practice it in various ways over the centuries, and many Orthodox Jews continue to practice Sabbath to this day from Friday night to Saturday night. But what about Christians? Like, do we just move the Jewish Saturday, uh, Sabbath, which is Friday night to Saturday night, and do we just move that to Sunday? Like, is it just a, a one-for-one? One? They did it this way. Christians are going to do it that way. Um, well, that's where the research gets really interesting. The early Christians were Jews who began to follow Jesus, who was himself a Jew, right? So Jesus practiced Sabbath, but then after his resurrection, it gets fuzzy. In our earliest Christian writings, for example, we don't have evidence that the disciples kept a strict Sabbath anymore. And we know that they gathered for worship on Sundays because that was the day that the Lord raised from the grave, right, on Sunday morning. So that became the Lord's day. So Sunday is the Lord's day, not the Sabbath day for Christians. But like Sundays, just like every day in the Roman Empire, were work days. Romans didn't have Sabbath. Greeks didn't have Sabbath. So if you're a Christian in one of the Roman provinces, Thessalonica or Philippi or Ephesus, like you didn't get Sunday off to worship. That couldn't be your Sabbath day. Especially in the lower classes. So usually they would gather for uh, worship early in the morning on Sunday for songs, scripture reading, and communion. And then they would go to work. And that was their Sunday. 
It wasn't until the fourth century AD when the Emperor Constantine made officially, uh, Christianity officially recognized in the empire and it became the majority religion that Christian began to shift that meaning of Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. But I want to say, along with a lot of good scholarship, that I think that that move is a mistake. I've been surprised in learning about Sabbath, and I believe it's a gross misunderstanding of Sabbath to simply move it from Saturday to Sunday or any other particular day for that matter. And here's why. Earlier in the service, Anne read from Matthew 12, 1 through 14. And you know that story. In that story, you know, Jesus is uh, confronted by um, Pharisees for picking wheat heads off and popping them in his mouth on the Sabbath. His disciples were doing that. They said, you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And then he takes it one step further, and he heals someone on the Sabbath, right? And there's that whole thing like common sense. Hey, if, you know, if, you're, if your animal falls into the ditch, you're certainly going to get it out, even if it's Sabbath, right? Now, how much more if I heal a person? And I used to always think that story was a simple teaching about how much more, right? Like, if you let your animal go in on the Sabbath, you're going to rescue it. Well, we should be able to do good things on the Sabbath, like heal people. I used to think that that's what that was all about. But then, then you look at what Jesus healed this man of. He had a withered hand. A withered hand. Even as bad as the medical journals were in the first century AD, like there's no thing called withered hand disease, right? Like you're either deformed or maligned or leprous or have a broken hand, but a withered hand, what is going on there? Withered is this term that prophets use to describe disobedient Israel. Like, their land would be withered and dried up if they didn't follow God. Their plants would wither up if they didn't follow God. Remember, Jesus cursed that fig tree, and it withered up, representing disobedient Israel. Um, The vineyard of God, Israel, a metaphor for Israel, would be withered up, okay? Sabbath, the sign pointing to God's future rescue, his day of rest, his coming kingdom, his restoration of withered Israel, This is in the prophets. Could this mean that in Jesus, all that the Sabbath was pointing to was coming true? I think that's exactly what it means. I think that's exactly what it means. When Jesus is healing this man with a withered hand on a Sabbath in front of the Pharisees, he's saying all that the Sabbath was pointing to is in your face. It's me. It's Jesus How then do we observe Sabbath as followers of Jesus? If Sabbath was a practice that aimed at Jesus and Jesus has come, then Sabbath, the way it was practiced, is no longer needed. In fact, to keep the old Sabbath regulations would insult the incarnation of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and the reign of Jesus. It would be like saying, um, no thanks, we're going to keep doing the Sabbath thing, we're going to wait for something better to come along. Jesus is like, no way, I'm here, like, I'm what that is pointing to. Okay, so like at the communion table, right? Every Sunday, we officiate over this communion table. We've got bread representing the body of Jesus. We've got the cup representing the blood shed for us. And at this sacrament, which means holy mystery, uh, we recognize that somehow we're meeting with Jesus in a special way, that the risen and reigning Jesus is meeting with us sacramentally 
in that thing. Now, what if Jesus came back right before I did communion, and he's sitting next to Ryan, I'm sure you'd sit next to Ryan at the pew right there, and, um, and I start doing communion. There's the body of Jesus given for you, the blood of Jesus shed for you. It, it would be so redundant and ridiculous. It would be like, well, I know you're right there, but like, uh, we're going to mysteriously meet with invisible Jesus, right? It, it would be ludicrous to keep doing communion once Jesus is returned in the flesh. And so I think that what he's saying is, doing Sabbath Pharisees, like the way you've been doing Sabbath, when I have actually come, when everything that Sabbath is pointing to is here, it's not the point anymore. So what am I saying? <laughs> Let me just be really clear. Am I saying we should break the Ten Commandments? May it never be. Rather, what I'm saying is that the Sabbath pointed to this new age of Christ. And that new age of Christ has begun with the incarnation, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, I am saying that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath day and inaugurated Sabbath time. Sabbath time. We should be a people as followers of Jesus, marked by our joy, by every day having healthy rhythms of work and rest and community and worship. Sabbath time is the life of the Christian. It is the lifestyle that will certainly include days of rest. I think you ought to take days off. Regular times of worship, both individually and together as a church like you're doing right now. In a world that is getting busier, more connected with technology, in a, in a world where economics are more competitive than ever, ever, followers of Jesus are called to be Sabbath people. That will look so countercultural to what most of the world is doing around us. We are to be people with courage to, to tell your boss, like, I need, a, I need time off. We're to be people who are bosses who, to have the courage to say, like, I could squeeze more productivity out of everyone by making them work overtime every week, or, but saying, no, I'm going to protect people and create healthy places for people to work, sustainable places for people to work. Families and individuals who are following Jesus, we need to have courage to trust that rest and worship with the community of Jesus is more important than more sports or more vacations or more whatever it is that we're trying to do to distract ourselves from the stress. Thanks be to God that Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome our sin. He has inaugurated the age of Sabbath, and it is our job as his disciples to reflect his reign on earth before it comes in its fullness. I want to close with uh, what Jesus' words himself from Matthew 28. Come to me, all who are weary and have overburdened yourselves, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Lord, we hear those words and so desperately want to live into them. 
And most of us are just bombarded with yeah buts and maybe after this or after this big thing boils over. Lord, help us to be men and women who live into the new age of Christ, the, the age of, uh, of your ascension, your reign and your rule. Help us, Lord, uh, to trust you enough that if we um, don't burn the candle at both ends, the world will not fall apart, that our lives will not fall apart. I pray for courage, Lord, and wisdom for each one here as this message pertains to them and to me. Lord, we need rescue from our hurriedness as much as we need rescue from other things. Help us. Amen.